Welcome to Uniquely Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners share their unique stories to inspire our listeners. Welcome back to Uniquely Small Biz by Selective Insurance, a podcast for small business owners to share their inspiring stories. I'm Carolyn McArdle, and we are looking forward to bringing you another wonderful conversation with small business owners who are as unique as their ventures. Today, I'm excited to welcome Alec McLennan, owner of Good Nature Organic Lawn Care, an organic and chemical-free lawn care and landscape service for people looking to have beautiful, well-maintained lawns and landscapes and don't want to resort to using harmful chemicals. Good Nature is here to help. Today, Alec joins me to share his story, discuss building the eco-friendly business from the ground up, and provide a bit of insight into how he's working to make the world a better place, one lawn at a time. So sit back and get ready for another thoughtful episode of Uniquely Small Biz, brought to you by Selective Insurance. Well, welcome, Alec. Thanks for having me, Carolyn. It's great to be here. Oh, it's good to have you here. I cannot wait to talk to you today. I want to start with sort of the beginning, if you don't mind. I saw on your website that you were inspired by your dad and your high school biology teacher. So can you share the backstory of Good Nature? As a kid, you know, I grew up out in the out in the country and we had a lot of grass and I loved playing football on it and soccer and that was kind of my childhood, you know. So I kind of had a fondness for our back lawn and my parents had a a big back lawn and I was the guy in charge of spreading like the the fertilizer and doing all the stuff he wanted done to it and freshman year of high school I was in a biology class and the whole first half of the biology class had nothing to do with anything we were reading in the book it was all about how lawn chemicals and pesticides were negatively impacting the fish that they were trying to get established in the streams in our kind of general area of the world here in Ohio. And so he went off about these lawn chemicals and I thought, man, that's not good. I didn't know all that was a problem. And so I went home and my dad had his 22 bags of weed and feed, you know, waiting for me to spread. And however old I was, probably 14, 15 years old, I'm thinking, hey, this is great. I can get out of little work and there's no way I'm going to spread this stuff. You know, we got a little stream down below the, below the grass and he said, okay, I'll figure out how to take this stuff back. You just need to figure out something else to do. And so then all of a sudden, I had, instead of getting out of a job, I had a bigger job and mm-hmm. went back to the library and researched it, found out about this organic lawn care and found somebody that had some stuff. And so basically we started taking care of my parents' lawn organically back in high school. Didn't think anything of it. Went away to college, studied engineering and was getting ready to get out of school I didn't want to be an engineer. I knew that much. And so I thought, man, there's got to be a way to make a living doing something that you would like to do. And so yeah. I just kind of started making a list of all the things I'd like to start, like any kind of company I'd like to start. Mm-hmm. And one thing I left out was in high school and college, I also had a driveway seal coating business. So we'd go around and weatherproof the asphalt driveways. And I really enjoyed that. You know, I was working with a lot of, you know, homeowners and it was just a fun mm-hmm. It was fun work and it was fun meeting people and I liked it. So I thought I kind of like the business of serving clients, their homes. And I love the idea of organic lawn care. I I didn't like all the chemicals. And I kind of looked into it. And once I learned more about 
even more about why it made sense. I kept coming back to that. And so when I got out of school, I had another job, but I started my organic lawn care business kind of as a side job. You were kind of an entrepreneur and you didn't even know it, right? With that issue of I've got to find an organic lawn feed. Sure. Without even, you're in high school. I mean, the fact that you even went to the library and researched this as a high school kid is very impressive. It's almost like this was in your blood. You didn't even know it. I think that uh, I've had a job a couple times in my life and I never really enjoyed having a job. And so it was always more fun to try to create a little business. I was definitely wired that way, but also had the example because my that's my dad had his own business too. And so I could see, you yeah, saw that it was possible. Well, and it has to feel good too when you're taking care of neighbor's driveways or you're starting your own business and you've got this product that's for the good, that it actually will help people. It will get the job done, but you're also protecting the environment at the same time. So that's got to feel good to be able to offer a product like that. Yeah, no, it's, I, I love it. I'm an environmentalist, but I also think, hey, the free market's a good thing. We can do things to help and make some money at the same time and have a good life. I think it might be assumptive to say, well, I know what the term organic means, right? We all think organic, pesticide-free, but is there more to it in your world and with what you do to the word organic? Like, what does organic mean to you? That's an amazing question because, it, you know, 25 years ago, it was kind of pretty simple. Like, organic referred to a way of taking care of the soil, and it basically meant that your fertility came from things that were once living, plants or animals, whatever, like the classic organic fertilizers were like manures, bone meal, blood meal, feather meal, all that kind of stuff, things that are recycled. Mm -hmm. The thing about those fertilizers are that they don't have nutrients that are available to the plants. You put those those materials down and they basically mm -hmm. feed the microbes in the soil. The microbes in the soil convert them into things that are available for the plants. And the microbes get more busy doing this at the times when the plants need them the most. And so it's a mm -hmm. slow release of nutrients. And then the other part of organic was not using kind of synthetic poisons. Right around World War, around the World Wars, they, they came up with a lot of different chemicals that were kind of nerve poisons that they found mm -hmm. out also killed insects. So when you're having mm -hmm. a problem with bugs in your agricultural field, hey, we've got this chemical that can fix it. And it was a quick, easy way to solve a problem, whereas the better, more holistic way would be, hey, make the plants healthy, let them fight the pests. So organic is more about the philosophy of feeding the soil and then mm -hmm. making the plants healthy so you don't have to use pesticides. And then if you have to do something to discourage a pest, you use a more natural, not toxic product, you know, like mm -hmm. whether it's growing plants next to your plants that help repel insects or, you know, we use garlic to keep mosquitoes away. So just things like that. So that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the philosophy of organic. The mm -hmm. technical definition is that it's something that contains carbon. And so once the organic philosophy, people, the world recognized that people wanted that, then the rest of, you know, the market, the providers said, okay, well, technically organic means that it contains carbon. So a lot of the most like poisonous things in the world contain carbon. So technical definition of organic in the dictionary did not necessarily match the, what it was trying to describe in its philosophy. So the long story short is now there's a USDA certification that kind of delineates what's mm -hmm. organic, what's not. That works in the food industry. 
it does not apply to the landscape industry. So it's a little bit of a free for all. So my definition is use nutrients that help feed the soil and build plants and then don't use the pesticides, poisons like in the lawn care world, there's a lot of 2,4-D used, which was mm-hmm. kind of a relative of Agent Orange. People have heard of Roundup and other insecticides. And so use stuff that builds the soil. Don't use poisons to kill all the stuff. And that's kind of our definition of organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's not a great definition for horticulture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you were talking about those pesticides that can kill animals and certainly damage your your plants and your lawn but i'm thinking of you know roundup specifically and all the controversy surrounding that like that can actually harm humans as well so when you talk to a potential client or an existing client and the word pesticide comes up or specifically roundup because it is so commonly used i mean i can only imagine what goes through your body you mean if you're exposed to that stuff? Is that what you're saying? No, or? if somebody says, well, I'm just going to use Roundup oh, okay. to How I feel XYZ. About that. Yeah, 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 yeah. that must inside like hurt you to the core because it's so opposite of who you are and what you do. So I guess my philosophy on that is that you start by encouraging the plant, making it healthy, using things that are not going to be harmful to people, pets, in the water, you know, in the air. Are there circumstances where maybe it might make sense to use a little bit of Roundup in the world? There probably are, but I would argue that it's probably not your backyard. Like you can do other things. So I'm not going to say that everyone that uses that stuff is a terrible, terrible right. person. They're they're trying to do what they think is best. But I will say that there's unintended consequences. There's things we don't know about, and you know a new chemical comes out, and you think it's great, and then. 20 years later, they say, oh, turns out this one's not so good for you, but don't worry, we've got another one and we're going to replace it. And it's really part of the problem is that in order to make money selling these chemicals, you have to synthesize it into something that is unique that you can patent. Mm -hmm. So for example, one product we use, you know, sometimes for, if there's a pest issue is something called neem oil. And it's a, it's from a, a tree in India and it's, we get it's from the seeds. They press the seeds. It turns into an oil. And the way we use it, it's cold pressed and it's, it's good stuff. It's used medicinally. It's, it's a great product. But there's no profit for a big company to sell that. So they take that neem oil and they extract it down to, you know, the key component that might be doing the most to help prevent insects from, from eating plants. And then they take that key component and they concentrate it. And so wow. then that becomes, they took something that was kind of in its natural state, non-toxic and turn it into something that's naturally derived, but can be a little more, you know, a patentable, but be uh-huh. a little more, um, uh, concentrated potent? or potent than yeah. you'd want. And then just, you know, one thing on those, on the chemicals is Roundup is used everywhere. Like it's on probably on organic food too, just because of drift, but any food you buy has probably got Roundup on it and some, or it has been applied to it at some point. Crazy. Yeah. But the, uh, that gets all the press, but the, the weed and feed or not even the feed, the selective weed killer that gets sprayed on grass to kill dandelions and stuff like that is is something called 2,4-D, dicamba. There's different, different Mm. parts of that. And, uh, that's, if you look at the, they call it the lethal dose how many mm-hmm. grams of a the product the mouse has to eat before half of them die, the LD50. The, mm-hmm. According to that, 
2,4-D that gets sprayed on lawns is 10 times more toxic than Roundup is. But you don't, think, you don't think about it, you know? It's just, it hasn't gotten the press because yeah. it's not used as ubiquitously as Roundup is. Well, and you go to buy that product at a local nursery and you just say, I need weed killer. And the person behind the counter, not their fault, but they're not educated to the level that you are about their products. And they just go, we have this great weed killer over here. And that's all you know. Oh, it's cheap. Great. I'll take that. Done. I would encourage anybody who is thinking about like, hey, I really need to use a chemical to kill weeds. Hey, mm. think about it. Maybe, maybe you don't. But if you decide you're going to it's probably better to hire someone to do it than to go to the hardware store and buy and apply it yourself. Because, you know, if you read all the fine print about the, the protective equipment you're supposed to wear, I'm sure most people aren't, aren't doing that. Yeah. And so you'd be better off hiring somebody who's wearing the right equipment and taking care of, you know, doing things the right yeah. way, applying them at yeah. the right rates, opposed to trying to do it yourself. Speaking of hiring people, how many people do you have on your team? How many people work for you? I would say that I work with about 50. We're right around that 50 oh. mark. And um, huh. yeah, we got a great team. How do you train? Like what's your approach to training your team? Yeah, that's a great question too. So yeah, our growth has been kind of steps, you know, where you take mm -hmm. a step and then you realize, wait a minute, we're not giving good service here. We got to figure out how to do better. And then you figure out a system. And then we take another step. We've done a lot of in-person training, but that's labor intensive and, and kind of slow. But we use a combination of things right now. One system that we're using is this is sweet process where we've documented all our processes in this, in this platform that I would definitely recommend just it's a web-based mm -hmm. easy tool to just document your processes in. And so that's filled with videos and information that we put in there to train people on. And so like for, for each service, for each condition they might encounter in the field, for each situation, we, we have a, a procedure. And there's basically something you have to read, probably a video you have to watch, and then a quiz you have to take. And so that's kind of our first layer of training. And then people get through that. They're, you know, they're 70% of the way there. And then we go to more one-on-one -on -one in-person training. But then that sweet process is there as a reference for them to go back to and remember. That's nice. How do you get these prospective employees to sort of embrace the idea of organic lawn care? Are they people that come to you saying, I love that you're all about organic, or do they come in not knowing as much and then you train them on that or a little bit of both? I think it's definitely a little bit of both. It seems like sometimes people maybe even come in not necessarily inclined that direction, mm -hmm. but but after they work here for a little while, they, they go that direction. And I think that we don't have a lot of people working for us that if they weren't working for us, would go work for a chemical lawn care company. Like it's, they're pretty sold on the idea of organic. Yeah, I mean, I like think they're supporters. They maybe they want to be outside. They like the idea. They want to be healthy. You know, that's kind of our. That's a lot. Of, our team is a lot that way. I saw on your website that Good Nature is a founding sponsor of the Organic Landscape Association. So, what is the mission of the Organic Landscape Association? Yeah, the Organic Landscape Association um, was started by a guy who has kind of been in around the, the field for a while and uh -huh. he used to apply chemicals and I think got sick and kind of understood that maybe that wasn't the right way to go. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of brought together a group of people to try to start this association to basically, you know, help promote the idea and create some standards 
like you referenced before about what is organic and uh, bring kind of like-minded people together to to learn and and get better. Well, that being said, how does good nature contribute to their mission? Good nature does a few things. And it's, I've kind of started to realize this. We've been doing this for a while now. So I've started to see this happening. One is we're out there promoting the fact that you can, it's possible to have a nice yard without using all the chemicals. So that was kind Mm -hmm. of step one is try to show that that's possible. And then step two is show it's possible to have a business, you know, a viable business that provides services to clients who don't want to use all the chemicals. So I think Mm -hmm. that one of the things I enjoy is getting calls from and working with people who either want to start an organic landscaping business or in the process or are halfway through at different stages. So I think we help just by trying to support other people who are trying to do the same thing and just by showing that it's possible to have a viable business, you know, doing it this way. How do you guys market yourselves? I know you have an amazing presence on social media. You're so good with social media, but what is sort of your marketing strategy? We try to do our best to try to find people who would be interested in in what what we do. You mean from a from a marketing standpoint, find people that are fans of what you do. Okay. Yeah, the kind yeah. of, you know, people that might be interested in the kinds of services that we provide. So, mm-hmm. you know, number one is they have to be the kind of people who would be interested in taking care of their yard. Like that's kind of the the kind of the low bar. And then number two is they're the kind of people that are interested in being healthy or making their pets healthy or um mm-hmm. Just in general, maybe eating organically, you know, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a number of ways that we try to reach people. One of the old standbys that we've always done is is the direct mail approach, you know, and kind of try to create a profile of our client, like our ideal client, and, and connect with them. And then, you know, the, the social media you mentioned, and so putting your, putting your information out in front of the right people, I think is helpful. And then... Really, like we do what we can to get in front of people the first time. And then like any other business, you just try to do the best job you can for those people, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. trusts you to take care of their yard and hope and encourage them to spread the word to their friends, you know, Mm -hmm. just trucks driving around and signs in the yards. Those, those all, all help. Don't you think too, when it comes to hiring people, whether it be just people on your team that are out doing the work or from a marketing perspective, and you were talking about people that want to be healthy and want their animals to be healthy, to find somebody and hire people for your team or on your team that have a passion for your product or what you do already, isn't that, that's like the ideal, you know, because you can't, you can't force passion on somebody. Either you have it or you don't. So if you can find those people, it's got to make such a huge difference. It does. I think, I mean, and and it's more fun to work with people who are kind of interested in the mission, you know. I'll say, you know, 25 years ago when I started spreading this stuff and it didn't really work at the time and everyone had a lot of weeds and I thought, oh, man, this isn't going to work. And so the time for a while we'd do, we'd do the organic thing and after a couple of years if they had more weeds than they wanted, we'd walk around and we'd zap the weeds with a chemical for them and then keep going and mm-hmm. did that for a while and, and I think – you know, people on our team said, hey, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this. And that kind of, I, I agreed with them. It's just mm-hmm. hard because you feel like you're going to lose clients. And so we uh, we stopped doing that, you know. And so that, that came from people who are on board with our mission, championing, you know, encouraging us to do that. So I think it's way more fun to work with people who are into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's more fun for them <laughs> to be able to 
make their professional life something that you can feel good about. Yeah. It's great when you find employees that actually care, right? Yeah. That's, that want to be there. That's our second core value. I think it's the foundation yeah. of everything is care. You know, that's important. The passion's important. But having a passion for taking care of people and trying to help people is also important. That's what causes us to try to do the best job we can. What do you think is next for you guys? I mean, you've got a few locations. Are you going to be expanding? Are you going into other areas where there might be new opportunities? Like, what's your vision for the future? Yeah, we're in a stage where we're trying to trying to do what we do in more cities. And it's um, it's amazing to me that we'll open up in a city and, and people will say, wow, this is great. There's nobody doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to be able to offer that service to people. And it's really cool to be in Chicago and have people that used to be customers in Cleveland find us and be so excited that we're in Chicago. So like we're going to continue to open up in new cities. I like that for a lot of reasons. One, to be able to offer the service to people and two, it creates some opportunities for our team, you know? So one of our technicians from Columbus is moving to Pittsburgh to open the Pittsburgh location this year. And, and so there's a, there's kind of a growth path for people to take. That's kind of one thing. We kind of diversify our services a little bit. So we mostly focus on treatments and making plants and trees and lawns, you know, healthy, um, helping people with any yard issues in a healthy way. But, you know, one of those ways we're getting more into uh, installing robotic lawnmowers for people. So who knows where that'll go, but it's a pretty mm. cool way to mow your lawn yeah. with a little electric kind of Roomba machine and you don't have to don't have to do anything and it's quiet and there's no fumes being spewed out into the atmosphere. It's amazing that you guys are into that. That's very cool. Stuff like that's cool. And, and yeah. we've got, we're working on packaging up a do-it-yourself line for people to do themselves. If they're somewhere we don't yeah. service or if they just like doing it themselves. So those are kind of our agendas, for, you know, items on our agenda right now. That's exciting. I mean, organic is definitely where we're going, right? It's a buzzword, but I mean, Everybody loves organic. It's the ideal. So the fact that you're on that path already, it's a blank canvas for you. There's so much more to come. It's fun. There's a no, no, no shortage of opportunity to try to do something that you think is good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Alec, it was so nice talking to you. Thank you for being on with us today. Carolyn, I appreciate it. Joining me now to talk all about the challenges of building an eco-friendly business from the ground up and some best practices for achieving success in green industries is the Assistant Vice President of the Contractor's Strategic Business Unit at Selective Insurance, Jim Albee. Welcome, Jim. Carolyn, great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so glad you're here. You know, Alec was speaking a lot about the true philosophy of the word organic versus the loose interpretations that some people use. So I wanted to ask you how important it is to offer customers organic options in today's market. I'd start off with saying that the organic options, first and foremost, is several layers behind that. I think that's important for Alec and businesses like his. And first, I want to applaud Alec for really creating a business that he's passionate about and building it around an idea and a purpose and let the money come along with that, right? And I think that's what's made him so successful. But providing and giving that option to a customer really gives him the power of choice and it just sets him apart really in the marketplace. So customers thinking about what landscaping service do I want to use and they gravitate towards something that's more friendly for the environment and lines with their core values. And I would echo that with a company like Selective. Something around helping the environment and doing the right thing 
really echoes our core values and stuff that we think about from a company standpoint as we kind of continue to move forward too. So really resonates on a lot of levels, I think, there. Makes sense. He also shared that he invests quite a bit in training new employees in an industry that's experiencing a labor shortage. How important is comprehensive training for employees in terms of retention and also, of course, quality of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think training of employees in today's market has just become ever more important. And I would say the training and onboarding of new employees, whether they're experienced in their craft or not, is probably the most important thing that someone like Alec, who runs a contractor business, needs to do. And the important part about training, really, as I sit back and think about it from a risk management standpoint, is training doesn't just end with, hey, show up the first day and I'm done, right? It needs to be continuous. It needs to be evolving. It doesn't stop after the first week when they can kind of get the lowdown on how things operate, what their safety practices are like, how to handle certain pieces of equipment. It really needs to be continuous and ongoing, and there's a learning aspect to that. And one other thing I'd offer to someone like Alec and anyone who owns a business like his is also learn from your employees as you onboard them and train them. So bring someone on, teach them through the months that they kind of get up and running with your business. And maybe six months or a year later, you say to them, hey, what could I have done better? Or what could I do differently? Did I not teach you or show you something that you counted on a job site? So kind of creating that continuous learning environment, I think, is really important. and kind of takes that training to the next level. Yeah. And eventually possibly providing new opportunities for employees. Like he talked about, one of his employees will be in charge of opening a new branch of the business, which is certainly a fantastic opportunity. So do employers in the contracting industry who offer internal growth, do they have a competitive advantage, do you think, when they can offer more than like just a job? It's almost like a job with opportunity and room to grow. Absolutely. Especially in today's marketplace with labor, giving someone a longer future and a longer runway to kind of really gravitate towards that and build a long-term career with one business, I think is powerful. Not only for that person who's taking that opportunity and starting up the branch, I think it was in Pittsburgh, but also being able to show that to other employees. And they say, this is a place I want to work. Look at the opportunities that can kind of come to me. I mean, if I'm not interested in that kind of opportunity, it just creates that positivity, I think, around the company yes. and the employees themselves. And two, it just it helps with retention. So end of the day, this along with the safety practices and stuff that I just talked about previously there, I think just creates that culture of retention and keeping good talent working for your company versus letting them float out into the marketplace and having to replace them. Job site safety has to be one of the big areas of concern for a contracting business like Good Nature. So what can contractors do to help make job sites as safe as possible for their employees? I feel like you would be the absolute expert on this. Carolyn, I appreciate the kudos on that. But you know what I would say is that first and foremost starts with what I was just saying earlier around job site training and safety and onboarding of new employees. So if they can't understand the safety program and know how to carry the job out day to day, I mean, that's step one right there. So that starts with that. And I think really from that, the continuous aspect of learning that I talked about, and then being able to first and foremost have management that works for people like Alec carry out that attitude around safety first. And I think, you know, you can't just send employees out there, whether they're even experienced or non-experienced out to a job site and expect them maybe not to have some sort of oversight or help on the job site. And being able to prepare them for the things that are going to come across on that job site with that oversight and having that just positive attitude around safety, I really think is sometimes the biggest challenge for a contractor to, to overcome. And I've seen those contractors that actually have that safety first mentality and ingrain it into everything they do are the most successful from a business standpoint, but also protecting their employees and making sure that they stay safe and deliver for their customers. 
And what about a company like Good Nature if they wanted to hire, let's say, subcontractors for some of the new services they plan to offer, like he was referring to installing the robot lawnmowers? Like, what are some important things that they need to consider to make sure their company is protected from risks? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's one thing that hiring of subcontractors, I would say to Alec and any contractor that is looking to do that or does do that regularly is you must think of them as your own employees. Because when you hire someone to do work on your behalf, that's how they're going to be viewed. And that's the liability that you take on. So first, that starts with having a proper subcontractor or a contractual risk transfer agreement. And the purpose of that agreement is to, when you hire the subcontractor to do work for you, properly allocate responsibility for their work and liabilities that they could potentially cause you or your customers on the job site and make them responsible for that. So that contract legally conveys that to them. And a company like Selective, what we actually have to offer a company like Alec and his peers is actually we have sample contracts, four different versions that he can actually take and use to hire subcontractors. And also just use as a starting point to even share with his own you know, legal counsel if he wants to make it even more specific to his business. So that's the first part of that. And then adding to that is records retention, keeping the contracts on file and making sure that the people he hires carries insurance. Because if he hires someone and they don't have insurance or have the proper insurance, then again, that will come back to Alec and another contractor for being responsible for if they cause a claim on site. So Risk transfer and having those agreements is extremely important when looking to branch out and hire people to do work for yourself. Let's get a little more personal on this. Talk to me about your approach when it comes to training your team. It's ingrained in everything we do, I would say, and especially in the construction industry and ensuring it, it's probably top of mind on everything that we look at. So when we look at accounts or prospect insureds and we try to find ways to help them and try to evaluate the risk management programs, being able to offer them and point out areas that they can improve the risk transfer contract and or process is always top of mind for us. And it's something that my team and myself talk about regularly in our day to day. So it is something that is really, like I said, ingrained in, in kind of everyday practice. And I would add too, not only outside of my direct team, but our safety management specialists, which are our individuals out in the field who go out and meet with the insureds, help assess their safety programs. And they also assess the contracts and work with the contractors out there and help them say, hey, can you ever think about adding this requirement in, improving this language type of thing? And also looking at their safety programs. Some of the stuff I said earlier around job site safety and making sure the program is adequate for what they're doing, our safety management specialists help review those programs, give suggestions, and just, again, continuing to make it better. I think it's just a theme that I would just want to get across to a lot of contractors. Yeah, that's a great answer. I understand that Selective has extensive expertise in the contracting segment. So what is your best insurance advice to business owners like Alec? Like, What would you say? So I could go a lot of different ways on this. I'm a little bit of an insurance nerd, I guess. So I could talk about this for a while. But if I was talking to Alec directly or anyone of his peers, what I would say is the three most important areas I would say that you could control as a contractor revolve around, first off, risk transfer. And when you hire subcontractors, especially to do work for yourself, having an airtight contract and a process around records retention and verifying insurance are of utmost importance. The next piece is that safety program. So having the safety program, the onboarding and the training that's fit to your business for what you're actually doing and the job site hazards that you might come across and having that plan as robust as it can be to anticipate what could happen and ensure that its standards continue to raise along with you know other things that go on in the industry. 
And last is having a proper insurance program. And that involves the contractor or someone like Alec finding the right agency who's specialized in his kind of business, finding an insurance agent who knows construction or contractors, specializes in it, and then taking that agency and having them find the right carrier like Selective that is actually very specialized in construction. Because construction is a specialty and it's not something that People should just take for granted that I can just walk up and go to any insurance agency or any carrier to give me the right terms and conditions around coverage. So when something does happen, we're there to help out and and make them whole and help them through the process. I'd also like to add, Selective is actually currently in the process and me and my team are working on a construction risk report that we're actually going to be releasing in the near future in the next month or so that's going to actually help as an advisory piece to contractors and help give them even more direction around some insights that we've seen from our experience in the construction industry and help continue to make things better for contractors and for our customers from a risk management standpoint. Jim Albee with Selective Insurance, thank you for being with us today. Not a problem, Carol. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Uniquely Small Biz with Alec McLennan of Good Nature Organic Lawn Care and Selective's Jim Albee. For more information on the great work being done by Good Nature Organic Lawn Care, check out their website at whygoodnature.com. And if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, leave us a review and tune in next month for more inspiring stories from real small business owners.